and welcome back to a democratic episode of the Play It As It Lies podcast. And I don't think you've got to ask why democratic this week, because, you know, Frank, big event this November 3rd uh, that happened. Mm. What did you think of it? And how are you? Well, I'm doing good. And, uh, you know, November 3rd, it was a crazy day. We had Avery Williamson getting traded from the Jets to the Steelers for a seventh round pick. Uh, Desmond King to the Titans, Quan Alexander to the Saints. Uh, I mean, it was crazy. You know, am I missing anything? Did anything else happen? No, you just about covered it. If you weren't glued to your screens all of this week, staring at that trade deadline clock, I don't know what you were watching because that was what everyone in the world seemed to be watching. And that Avery Williamson trade, uh, just about the biggest news in uh, American history, I would say, this decade. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, sources are saying some of the Super Bowl contenders this year. They're looking to pry John King from CNN, but the asking price right now is uh, it's pretty high. Uh, multiple first round picks is what I'm hearing, uh, as well as uh, some potential players. Keep an eye on that. Absolutely. We got to look at teams that have players with lots of stamina to be able to match up. Not many can match John King in stamina. And, uh, hmm. you know, you got to have a lot of development. You got to have some young. You need them four years from now. There's uh, two years from now, too. Uh, got to have a lot of usability. So it's going to be a big asking price to get John King. Uh, though, thanks to John King, we did get a few great reports uh, that could potentially add new friends to our podcast family. Uh, and that is, of course, in three states, South Dakota, Louisiana, and me and Frank's home state of Maryland. Legalized sports gambling has taken place. We can now add a few more degenerates to the people who listen to this and listen to our podcast picks. Uh, but mm-hmm. congratulations to all of you for uh, voting for that, hopefully. If you're in South Dakota, one in 500 voices, and you did it. Yeah, all five people in South Dakota, way to go. It came to fruition, and it's always a great day when everyone gets to legally sport bet as opposed to uh, not so legally. But we wouldn't know anything about that, would we, Frank? No, we wouldn't. And uh, with that being said, let's, uh, let's go ahead and talk about something else. Let's go ahead and move on. Uh, obviously, week eight just passed. Uh, surprise, surprise. It's week nine now, uh, but before we move on from last week, we should talk about a horrendous week that me and Frank had, uh, more notably me, in the picks. Uh, mm. Frank won a respectable 7-7 seven and seven in both the money line and the spread, uh, bringing up to 74-43-2 in the money line, 67-50-2 in the spread. I, managed to, I actually managed to grab one game in there to bring the money line game just one behind at 73-44-2, uh, whereas Frank uh, beat the crap out of me in the spread as I won a abysmal 4 and 10. I'm not too sad about that. Um, definitely need to make up some ground this week. And uh, that all starts with tonight's Thursday Night Football game where the Green Bay Packers go to Levi Stadium to play the 49ers uh, of San Francisco. The F- Green Bay Packers coming off a divisional loss 22-28 to at the hands of the Minnesota Vikings, whereas the 49ers come off another divisional loss 27-37 to of the Seattle Seahawks. The San Francisco money line at plus 215. Packers spread at minus six. Frank, first pick of the week. How do you feel? Well, I'm feeling like a cheesehead this week. Uh, Feeling quite cheesy. And that is because I think the Packers are going to win this game and do so handedly. This line started out right around three points earlier in the week. And then the 49ers proceeded to see player after player uh, drop out of the lineup. First due to injury. Then due to the coronavirus, it's a tough scene for San Francisco. They've already been struggling with injuries all season, which have been well-documented. Now, George Kittle out for eight weeks. Jimmy Garoppolo will not be playing. Tevin Coleman is hurt again. Uh, No Raheem Mostert, no Debo Samuel. Uh, Need I say more, uh, this 49ers team, they're four and four. But with these injuries, they're not looking like a 500 team at all. And Aaron Rodgers, first career, is a near 70% winning percentage in games after a loss. And we saw earlier in the season, after that disappointing performance against Tampa Bay, they came out and beat the Texans by two touchdowns. And I reckon that we could see a similar result in this game. Yeah, I absolutely do think that we could see that. And when you're talking Packers and 49ers, uh, I mean, the first thing that came up to my mind when I saw this, I, I completely forgot that it was last year based just how the 49ers are a little bit falling apart. But th- just last year, this was the matchup for the NFC Championship. And if you're comparing that game directly to this one, 
the Niners did what the Vikings did to the Packers last week. You know, Raheem Mostert ran for 220 yards with four touchdowns, similar to Dalvin Cook has 176 mm-hmm. rushing yards along with three rushing touchdowns, one passing. Uh, but if you're comparing that to the team that beat them last week, you know, the, the Vikings only won by six points. Whereas the Niners back then relied on a healthy Jimmy G to manage the game. George Kittle's fantastic run block, not to mention a proven NFL running back like Raheem Mostert, something that they don't have any of the three of. Uh, and I think that was very crucial in the Vikings win with Kirk Cousins playing a all right game. Kyle Rudolph playing great, fantastic run blocking. And once again, a proven NFL running back like Dalvin Cook all combined for that win. But if you take all of those out of the equations, I think Aaron Rodgers is out for revenge from last week. And in the longer term, it out for revenge for the NFC Championship. And uh, you got to take the bad, bad man. And uh, essentially, I would say all of his overs on his player props in this one. Yeah, I don't have numbers, but it feels like Aaron Rodgers on primetime, he usually shows up in a big way, especially on Thursday night. I feel like he's had some big games um, on Thursday night in the past. So I feel like that's a safe bet. No, I absolutely agree, and uh, I'm glad we can agree on that one. Let's move it along to Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Another day that ends in Y. Another day that ends in Y, but this one starts in New York, upstate New York, uh, if you will, when the <laughs> Buffalo Bills will be playing host to the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks coming off a 10-point victory of the aforementioned 49ers, whereas Buffalo, last-second victory versus New England in New in Foxborough by three points, 24 to 21. Buffalo coming in with a money line of plus 130, whereas the Seattle spread is only two and a half. Frank, I'm I'm pretty torn in this game. How do you feel about this one falling down? Well, I can see why you're torn. Uh, looking at these two teams' records, I mean, Seahawks six and one, Buffalo six and two, you would expect this to be uh, a pretty competitive game and, and a high stakes matchup in the grand scheme of the entire season. For each team, but with the trajectory of these two teams, I'm not really seeing it that way. And I think that Seattle uh, is much more well equipped to handle business in this game than Buffalo is. I mean, I, I picked against Buffalo last week. But the Patriots had a decent chance to upset them. They didn't, but they covered that three and a half point spread. And you know what does it say about this Buffalo team that they barely managed to escape against the Patriots at home? And they only beat the Jets by eight points. And then before that, they dropped two games to the Titans and the Chiefs in, by double digits. I mean, this I said it last week, I'll say it again. This Bills team is not the same team that we saw earlier in the season right now. And I'm not expecting them to suddenly flip a switch here against what is the third best team in the NFL this year uh, by win and loss record. I don't think that the Bills are going to be able to slow down. Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and the Seahawks might be getting Chris Carson back into the lineup as well. And this Bills defense has not been very formidable this season. And even though the Seahawks are traveling uh, across country, I still like them at minus two and a half to win this game. Yeah, I like that take. I think I'm going to side with you on this one with the birds. Um, Josh Allen just really has not been the same quarterback. And last week, I think I really thought he would make that comeback, but he's just looked like he's fallen down. And for them to win this game, I don't think it's going to be a defensive battle. It's going to be, will Josh Allen, his offense, be able to match blow for blow with the Seattle Seahawks offense with Russell Wilson? I, I just don't see a world in which that happens because they're going to need to take shots downfield. Something that you'd imagine Josh Allen, whose specialty is taking shots downfield, would be good at doing. But over the last three games, he is 18 for 46 and passes over 10 yards in the air, including only one touchdown and four interceptions. Uh, and if he can't make passes like that, I just don't see a way in which they can put up the amount of points to match Russell Wilson. And for that reason, I think I'm going to agree with you on both the money line and the spread here to take the birds. Yeah, well, Seahawks are one of the safer teams in the league you can bet on right now uh, in terms of both the money line and the spread. And their defense is beatable. But it's just a question of can this Bills offense beat it enough to, like you said, keep up with uh, a high-scoring Seahawks offense? I just don't see it happening. Yeah, uh, and that that offense might still be. If you do have any faith in the Buffalo Bills, I would say, though, maybe take that over. I feel like if it's going to be a big game, if Josh Allen shows up, it's it's going to be a barn burner similar to the Dak Prescott-Russell Wilson show we saw <laughs> earlier this season. Oh, yeah, barn burner for sure. Great word. Yeah, great word, great phrase. Not one I think we'll be using for our next game. Uh, we swing it over to the swing state of Georgia, the surprising swing state of Georgia, where the Atlanta Falcons play host to 
the Denver Broncos. The Atlanta Falcons won 26 to 17 against Teddy Bridgewater and his Panthers, or at least Teddy Bridgewater for three fourths of the game. Whereas Denver is coming off a 31 to 30 last second victory versus the Los Angeles Chargers. Denver's money line at plus 175. Atlanta spread minus three and a half. Frank, we've seen one red team lose a lead in Georgia. Will we see another this week? I think we will. Um, this game is hard to pick because, at least for me, um, because it's hard to really be confident and trust either of these teams. I mean, the Falcons, you know, week in and week out, it's been a roller coaster of a season when it comes to betting. Um, and the same thing could be said for the Broncos. We both picked the Chargers to beat the Broncos last week, and the Broncos came storming back and somehow won by one point. So I can see a reasonable scenario where the Falcons win this game. But I think the value lies with the Broncos as the underdog at plus 175. Um, so you could call it a coin flip game or a toss-up game if you want. Um, but I'm going to go with the underdog here and take Drew Locke on the road over a very volatile Falcons team. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. And I think that value of plus 175 just has to be worth the risk uh, on a Broncos repeat. And uh, that is because if you imagine in one side of the coin, you know, the Falcons are five and two right now leading the race for the NFC South. Uh, that is if they knew how to win a game because they still have thrown away three of their potential wins. Uh, absolutely gone. And they're inconsistent all over the field from quarter to quarter. You don't know what version of the team you're going to see uh, depending on when they come out. And uh, in the fourth, they have pretty much just two consistencies, the inability to close and the, Ill, the inability to stop deep shots downfield. The Broncos, on the other hand, just defeated a team who has the exact same disadvantages. You think about the Chargers, they had problems stopping shots downfield and closing in the fourth, and that's the reason the Broncos managed to come in. That plus 175, as I mentioned earlier, just too much value to not assume that the Broncos are going to do it again uh, week after week because Drew Brulock might not be the best quarterback of the future, but he is competent in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he is. And confidence can go a long way against a team like Atlanta, who is anything but confident when the going gets tough in the fourth quarter. Absolutely. But a real contentious one over there in Georgia. The next game we have has absolutely no bias uh, in either direction for me or Frank, though I think there's a lot to say about it. The Ravens mm -hmm. at the Colts in Indiana. Baltimore just came off a 24 to 28 division loss to Pittsburgh, a real close one. Whereas Indianapolis beat the crap out of the Detroit Lions, a game that I foolishly predicted and very longly ranted about how this Colts team would not win this game. But yet here they are winning by 20 points uh, to their credit. Uh, the Colts, though, are still being handed the underdog role here as Baltimore's spread is at minus two and a half. The Colts money line at plus 115. Frank. Go ahead. Yeah, well, the line started out at two and a half earlier in the week for this game. Then it jumped up to about four points. And then very quickly, it jumped very quickly. It fell back down to two and a half, still in Baltimore's favor. Uh, but the glaring reason why the Ravens might only be favored by two and a half points is because the status of almost their entire defense is up in the air for this week. Uh, Rotom, do you know why that is? Uh, no, I have not heard news. Well, it just so happens that uh, I think I can explain it for you and everyone else. Oh, I would appreciate that. So on Monday, uh, Marlon Humphrey was placed on the COVID-19 reserve list after testing positive. And the next day, seven other players on the Ravens defense were identified as close contacts, uh, players who are at high risk. And those players, I'm not going to read all of them, but four of them are pretty key players for this Baltimore defense because they're all starters. That's Matthew Judon, Patrick Queen, Sean Elliott, and LJ Fort. So starting safety, both starting inside linebackers, and a starting edge rusher. Um, all four of these players, as well as the three other reserves that are included, uh, they can still play potentially in this game. Uh, it just hinges on whether or not they can go five straight days of testing negative, which started on Monday. So as of Wednesday, so far so good, but we'll have to see uh, what happens there. Uh, so for me, my prediction for this game, it kind of hinges on who's going to be suiting up for the Ravens. I mean, in the odd scenario that none of those players I just listed or, or most of them didn't play, I think that makes this game a lot more interesting. 
I mean, the Colts, they're coming off, like you said, an impressive 20-point victory. They have the number one ranked rush defense in the NFL. Um, so, so it's really difficult to get a finger on this game. But I think the Ravens need this game in a bigger way than the Colts do. They need this bounce-back victory after a tough loss against Pittsburgh. And I expect them to come ready to play uh, on the road. And two and a half is still low enough for me to pick the Ravens on the money line and the spread, even with the uncertainty uh, surrounding all those players that I just mentioned. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, and I'll let you go ahead and maybe apologize to the Colts if you feel like you should. Yeah, I, I they, they deserve an apology from me. You know, I, I may have called them some hurtful things last week, but um, I I dare say that my bias is still on there. You know, I was mentioning the big bias because me and Frank are Ravens fans, but I think my bias in this is just that I hate the Colts team. And I still, again, have to apologize. Darius Leonard came back to this defense and led an absolute great demolishing of a team that I thought was going to be able to run over the Colts. And again, led them, to, like you mentioned, the number one rush defense in the NFL right now. Uh, they took care of business and essentially won them that game. You know, five sacks, a pick six, a fumble recovery coupled with the fact that they forced the Lions to miss a field goal and they dropped nearly and the Lions dropped nearly a hundred yards in penalties, uh, mostly on the offensive side. It was a fantastic display by Darius Leonard, his defense, and Frank Reich, uh, frankly. Um, but I still hate Philip Rivers and don't trust anything that's happened. He has three touchdowns, two of them hand-delivered to him by Neheim Haynes. And quite frankly, I've watched too many Neheim Haynes games to say that he is going to have another performance like that. Nonetheless, against this Ravens team, I, of course, have to agree with you that it's very dependent on the personnel. But if you imagine Marlon Humphrey's going to be out there, Matt Judon's going to be out there, Patrick Queen's going to be out there, I don't think that Phillip Rivers is going to have the same amount of time that he did versus the, the Lions team because the defense is a very different scale. And on the, I think that Phillip Rivers is simply just not going to have as great of a performance as he needs to to win them this game. As I say it every week, you compare the games that they've lost versus the games that they've won closely versus the games that they've blown out. They're all entirely dependent on how Philip River does. He's lost them games. He should have lost them games on multiple occasions, but the defense have come back. And in this occasion, once again, you know, he managed to work with them. I just don't see a way that versus this Ravens team, he is going to play at high enough caliber to lead them to a victory on that side of the ball. I don't think the defense has enough of a force in it to stop this Ravens offense and I think at the end of the day, it comes down to whether Philip Rivers makes enough mistakes for the Ravens to take advantage, and I think he will. So, uh, yeah, you know, a lot less passion, uh, hopefully a lot less passionate and uh, hateful as my last few speeches about the Colts are, but I still uh, have to stick and fade on uh, Indiana. Yeah, you know, I, I respect that. And the Ravens, frankly, should have won that game against Pittsburgh last week. I mean, if you looked at the box score, they they pretty much outplayed them in almost every facet, but it was the turnovers. I mean, the four turnovers, you can't afford to do that against good teams like Pittsburgh. Uh, and you can't afford to do that against the Colts either, who are uh, fifth in the league in turnover di differential this season. And I don't expect uh, Baltimore to cough the ball up like that. But don't expect Baltimore to cough the ball up again like they did last week. And like you said, Phillip Rivers, uh, it only takes an interception or two in the fourth quarter from him to swing a game, which we've seen multiple times this season. Uh, and I think it could happen again in this game. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Philip Rivers, not the contentious enough. I, and with the Ravens, I agree. Uh, he is the second of three picks I think we're going to make this week based entirely on the offense should make a comeback here. And Lamar Jackson should be out to prove that he can keep a zero turnover game. Uh, and that's going to probably be the deciding factor is that turnover <laughs> differential. If the Ravens can keep the ball into them, I'm, I Philip Rivers is likely to make a mistake there. And uh, that's <laughs> that's how the Ravens uh, make their money there. Yeah, and if it doesn't happen, you'll uh, you'll just have to cry me rivers. Hopefully, though, that river does lead all the way down to Kansas City, where our next game will be played as the Chiefs play host to the Panthers uh, as the Chiefs are up their yearly game versus the Jets. Uh, as everyone expected, uh, they won. Uh, they did do so with 26 points, beating the spread of 20 points. Uh, a surprise to a few people, as sharp money at the very end of that game had the Jets actually taking a majority of the money bet on, uh, which is surprising to see. Uh, and then the Panthers, uh, losing their quarterback for about a quarter and a half of the game, uh, lost 17 to 26 to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Carolina's money line at plus 425 against the defending champions. The Kansas City money line halved from last week, minus 10 and a half. Do you trust the Chiefs to take care of another big spread? I do. Uh, I mean, how could you not right now? Um, you know, the Panthers, uh, I've, 
I've been high on them this year, but they've now lost three games in a row, and it's not getting any easier here. It's not getting any easier from here on out. Starts here against the reigning, starts here against the reigning Super Bowl champions. They are expected to get Christian McCaffrey back in the lineup, which is undoubtedly a big boost, and I think it could help them score more than the 17 points that they were able to put up against Atlanta. Uh, the problem is, even if you score 24 to 28 points, uh, that's not usually enough to beat the Chiefs. And the reason is, this Chiefs team, I dare say, is just built different. I mean, the Chiefs are operating on a level. Chiefs are operating on an offensive level, unlike any other team in the league right now. And we know how explosive they can be. And they've really hit their stride in the past two weeks, just absolutely throttling the Broncos and Jets in back-to-back weeks. I think the Panthers are better than the Broncos and Jets, obviously, but defensively, they have their issues, and you can't afford to make any mistakes uh, against this Chiefs team. It is worth noting that Teddy Bridgewater, for his career, 14-3 and against the spread, following a straight-up loss, uh, but I think that's going to be 14-4 and after Sunday because I like the Chiefs here as a double-digit favorite. Absolutely. Uh, with the Steelers now beating the Ravens, the Chiefs now focus to get that bye is now just to mow through their schedule in hopes of catching the Steelers for the first round bye. Uh, so no real analysis needed. I think you really covered a lot of it, hit the nail on the mm-hmm. head. I think the Panthers are just the first blades of grass in that path and are nothing more than backdoor mm-hmm. cover opportunists. Uh, though that that spread is pretty high and I would not take a lot of faith of the man in two gloves. I just think that 10 and a half is a little too nice. Uh, especially when Kansas City proved last week that Andy Reid has a commitment to allow Mahomes to see games to the end. Uh, so this one has to be Andy and the Magic Man uh, keeping that door closed and going to take that 10.5. Yeah, sometimes you just have to take that 10.5 uh, when it's standing there right in your face. Right in your face. you got to close that door on them. That, that's the contingency here. Will they close that door? Yeah, you know, we'll have to see. If they leave that door open, even just a crack, I mean, it's possible that uh, that some sort of animal could, could creep in, you know, maybe a lion. Potentially a lion in a matchup of swing states. Uh, we take you to the next one. Big election decisions uh, happening in Michigan and Minnesota. But they'll have to put that aside on Sunday as their football teams play each other. The Lions at the Vikings. Uh, Detroit losing 21-41, to 41, as mentioned, to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, whereas the Vikings are coming off a pretty impressive beating early to the Green Bay Packers, they scored in their first four offensive drives with Dalvin Cook, uh, though the money line is going to still say favor the Vikings here to win another one with the spread at minus four. Uh, the money line at plus 175, but you should know, Frank, before I beat you to that news, uh, we are confirmed that Matt Stafford is likely to miss a game because he was called up to the COVID-19 reserve list. Chase Daniels, former Super Bowl winner and Heisman runner-up, will feature as the starting quarterback for Detroit this weekend. Frank, 175, enough you enough for you to bet on Chase Daniels. Um, let me think. Oh, I got the answer. Uh no, it's not. Well, first off, you know, a tough scene for Matt Stafford. Uh the second time he's found himself on that COVID-19 list uh this season. So you hate to see that. Uh you wish the best for him. I don't think he actually tested positive himself. I think he just might have come in contact uh with somebody who had it. Uh, but, you know, all the same, it doesn't bode well for the Lions here in this game. Uh, I think you and I both like the Lions prior to that news as a potential underdog in this game. But without Stafford on the field, really hard to be confident in Chase Daniel on this offense to be able to score enough points. More importantly, on the defensive side of the ball, I don't think they're going to be able to stop Dalvin Cook. The Lions are 23rd in the NFL this year in, in defensive rushing yards allowed. Uh, at 130, and they allow the sixth most rushing first downs per game uh, at eight. And Delvin Cook single-handedly defeated the Packers last week, 163 rushing yards, 63 receiving yards, four touchdowns. Uh, I dare say that I don't know if there's a running back in the NFL that I would rather have on my team right now than Delvin Cook. And for that reason, I like the Vikings here in a divisional matchup at minus four against the Stafford list Lions. 
Yeah, I'm going to agree with you based on the quarterback situation. I just don't think Chase Daniels can win a game. I uh, used to be a pretty big fan of him uh, when he played for the Chiefs, following then with the Eagles. Uh, but, you know, every time he came out for those teams, I just think he never played well. And I think he's going to have another bad showing uh, here for Detroit. Though I will say I'm still taking Alvin Kamara over Dalvin Cook at the moment. Just to throw a little heat on the fire there. Yeah, well, that that's a good uh, that's a good potential conversation for uh, for another day. Give a little yeah. rankings. Potentially, uh, it might come to you very soon. Uh, but I'm glad we can agree on this one in this NFC North matchup as we take it to a battle once again. Your favorite part of every single week that somehow it just happens over and over and over and over again. It is the NFC least matching up here as the New York Giants come to Washington, D.C., home of potentially new president, playing the Washington football team coming off their bye, whereas the Giants took the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday night pretty much toe-for-toe until the last play, uh, which is a two-point conversion that they did not convert, losing 23-25. to G-Men Moneyline, plus 145. Washington football team's favorite, minus three, favor of the home team. Frank, which NFC least team are you backing this time? Well, this is a, a classic coin flip game, you know, like all NFC East games are. Uh, all Like all NFC East games are week in and week out. Uh, and without flipping the coin here, I'm going to go ahead and assume that it is leaning towards Washington. And this is tough because watching the Giants on Monday night, uh, obviously they, they looked pretty impressive against one of the best teams in the league. And, and they almost found a way to pull off that game. Uh, but I really think that had more to do with Tampa Bay than it did so much to do with New York, not to throw shade on the Giants. Um, and the Giants' past four games have been decided by a field goal or less, which I think is notable here, especially when you're talking about the spread. And I do like the Giants to cover the spread, but I think Washington uh, somehow, some way, is going to find a way to win this game by a point or two. When these two teams played earlier in the season, the Giants won by one point, and it came down to the last second. Uh, had the football team not gone for the two-point conversion, they might have been able to force overtime and come out of that game with the victory. Biggest thing is in that game, Washington only had one sack and five quarterback hits, and that's uncharacteristic for that defensive line. And this Giants offensive line, it, it's Swiss cheese. I don't trust them at all. I think that Chase Young and Chase Young and company are going to have a field day with the Giants. And I think that's going to be enough for them to get over the hump, uh, maybe with a field goal as time expires. Well, uh, you said it early on, and I'm going to continue my tradition of just flipping a coin to see who wins these NFC matchups. I am two for three so far. So, you know, old Georgie has not gotten wrong. Uh, and if I'm following him, it looks like Mr. Washington will be flip-flopping towards the Giants despite backing the football team last time out. Uh, you know, I like this pick based on the quality of the performance that the G-Men offensive line and their defense had on Monday night. Uh, you may call them switch cheese, but this is a much better offensive line than the one that was their last game. I dare say that they're a much improved offensive line. Number four overall pick, Andrew Thomas looked a lot more comfortable with a few more games under his belt. And the guards that they brought in recently, especially the rookie left guard that they now have in place there, uh, they look really comfortable. And I, I think it's going to be a big improvement to stopping Chase Young and Darren Payne uh, on the right side of their defensive line. So I, I think I'm willing to defend that. Though I think my biggest defense, and I, I think this is probably a take that not many people will agree with, but I do think that Danny Dimes, at the end of the day, didn't have that bad of a game. I think we are one quality pass away from either Danny Dimes having taken the Buccaneers, a top four team in the NFL right now, either to overtime or to winning had he connected on one of five major passes. Of course, we're talking about the pretty easy one that he just took a few two seconds too long on, this, on the two-point conversion. But on top of that, he missed two wide-open touchdowns to Darius Slayton that were a little bit of an overthrow. One Darius Slayton catch that was Darius Slayton just turned around too quickly. And one Sterling Shepard that fell just off his fingertips that would have gone for a touchdown. I think we could very easily be talking about a G-Men team that is contending for the division had that game gone the other way. And I have faith in Danny to make fun of a defense that, quite frankly, aside from the front seven, I still have absolutely no reason to trust. Uh, yeah, he might find himself on the ground a lot, but he's still going to produce better numbers than whatever off the offense is doing over there in Washington. So uh, I'm back in Danny Dimes along with my quarter pick. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's it's definitely a toss-up game. Uh, but you did mention Andrew Thomas, and I did mention Chase Young. So we are going to see 
a battle here of two top five picks from this past draft class. So that might be the most compelling and perhaps only compelling storyline of this game. Absolutely. Uh, you will not catch me watching this game. Uh, there are better games to watch, including potentially our next game, which is a matchup of potential wildcard teams as the Chicago Bears come to Tennessee to face the Tennessee Titans. The Bears coming off a three-point loss to the New Orleans Saints, whereas the Tennessee Titans lost by 11 to the former number one pickers, the Cincinnati Bengals. Surprisingly, though, Chicago, with a better record, is currently favored, a plus 235 money line. Tennessee line, minus six. Frank, are you standing for the Chicago Bears slander? Well, most of the time, I would. Um, But in this particular instance, uh, I'm not. And, you know, Rotom, you and I, we've had our issues here with both of these teams throughout the season, trying to figure out what the heck they're going to do week to week. We can't seem to predict accurately these Titans and Bears games. And now it comes to a full stop because they're playing each other. So there's a lot on the line here. Um, And speaking of lines, I like the Bears at plus five and a half. Uh, I don't know what's up with the Titans recently. I thought after week six, they looked like maybe the best team in the NFL. And then that Pittsburgh loss was understandable, but losing to the Bengals, Uh, on the road by double digits, a game that they trailed from start to finish. That's a bad loss. This Bears team, consequentially, they bounce back from their double-digit loss to the Rams in Week 7, taking the Saints to overtime last week. And and while they couldn't pull it out, I think it speaks to the fact that the Bears are more or less this year, they found a way to stay competitive in every game. And on the strength of their defense – and defense usually tends to travel uh, on the road, especially when your defense is as good as the Bears has been. And I think the Titans are going to win this game. I expect them to find a way. I still trust them a little bit more um, in the fourth quarter than I do Nick Foles in Chicago. Uh, also, I think the Titans really need a bounce-back game here in a big way. Um, so I have the Bears losing their third straight game, but I think it's going to be a competitive uh, down-to-the-wire finish. Competitive, absolutely. I'm going to have to agree with you on almost everything you said, uh, but I guess my faith in the Bears continues to be just slightly stronger than yours uh, in a neck-and-neck battle. I think I'm going to have to take the Bears in this one. Uh, and it's the fact that, you know, we, we watched it against the Bengals, and I'm a notable lover of the Bengals. Uh, the Titans' defense doesn't need to be good to win games. It needs to be mediocre at best, and it's still a far cry away from what they need to be at mediocre, ranked 26th in, panked, in pass defense per pro football focus. Uh, the Bears are streaky, I'll give you that, inconsistent. But even you, who dislikes the Bears, have to acknowledge that the fact that this team could win this game at a value like plus 235, that's a money line that just, it, it's worth it. It's worth the fact that you can more than double your money on, on a team that has a legitimate shot at winning the game, despite this line. And, you know, the way to win has to be hoping that Foles finds his rhythm at some point in the game. You look at that Saints game, it was clear that early in the first and late in the fourth, Nick Foles was on target, throwing good passes, putting his team in a position to win, despite incredibly subpar line support, which actually doesn't get any better. You know, I think this is probably the biggest downside of this Bill, this Bears team right now is, you know, they have none of Cody Whitehair, Bobby Massey, Jermaine Ifedi, Jason Springs, four starters in week one, and probably their four, four of their better offensive players uh, will not be starting this week. And if we get the quarterback that we got early and late in the game from Nick Foles uh, with at least mediocre pass protection, I think the Bears are big money favorites here, uh, absolutely based on the value. Not to mention a fantastic defense, like you mentioned, uh, that is constantly being underrated uh, with one of the best linebacker tandems in the nation. I would almost say the best outside of the Buccaneers uh, with Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith. Uh, So I'm taking the Bears here. I'm putting a little faith in Nick Foles to find his big dig ways and, uh, you know, carry the Bears. Yeah, I mean, that plus 235, that's got to be maybe the – that's got to be maybe the best value of the week uh, in terms of upset potential. But, you know, I'm sticking with the Titans just because, you know, while both of these teams have lost two games in a row, so they obviously both have something to play for here, there's a chance, there's an off chance that Foles could be pulled in this game for Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, you really just don't know with the Bears in their quarterback situation right now and their offense overall. There's just too much uncertainty for me to uh, tell you there on the money line pick. Um, But I do respect you for going that direction. 
you know, when you're in the state of Tennessee, you got to get bold. Uh, and I think the Bears are going to be the only 10 that we will see. Uh, but we'll keep it moving to a battle of two of the closest states in Tuesday night's election. It is Texas versus Florida, the Houston Texans, specifically at the Jacksonville Jaguars of Duval County. Uh, both teams come off their bye week last week, and Texas will be favored here at a minus seven spread. The Jacksonville money line at plus 240. Frank, which swing state are you swinging for? Yeah, well, both of these states went red on Tuesday night, which is uh, incredibly fitting because there's been a lot more red than green with these two football teams this season. I mean, two wins combined uh, between these two teams. We expected the Jaguars to be uh, maybe a one-win team at this point, but the same can't be said with Houston. Although it feels like while both of the teams have the same record, it feels like Houston is significantly more well-equipped to win this game, or at least it feels uh, they inspire more confidence. And a touchdown, the fact that they're a touchdown favorite kind of speaks to that a little bit. That That is a lot of points, I think. And you get the off chance that the Jaguars could have found a way to cover this game if Gardner Minshew was playing, because it's about all they have going for them. But he's not expected to suit up with a thumb injury. And they're going to be starting somebody named Jake Lutton or Jake Luton, uh, not sure if I'm saying that correctly, so my apologies, at quarterback. And the Texans, since 2014, they're 11-2 and two against the Jaguars. And in each of the past five games against Jacksonville, they have covered the spread. So do with that information what you will. But I am taking the Texans to win and win by a touchdown or more. You know, Frank, I like to mention every once in a while, I have three-fourths of a degree in mathematics. And uh, if those numbers add up right, it does sound like the Texans are likely to win this game and in larger than seven-point fashion. And so I'm going to stick with you right there. Uh, absolutely fade the Jags here with uh, sixth-round pick Jake Lutton not, uh, to just not lead them anywhere. I expect a great performance out of Deshaun Watson to go big. And, uh, you know, it might put the Jaguars in a good position uh, for a shot at 1-15. Uh, which would be an incredibly impressive 15 straight losses to end the season. That would be uh, that would be something. That would really be something. I think that would make a lot of people rich who bet on them to uh, have the most losses in the league this year. Uh, it mm. would. Uh, if only, you know, we have to know such a smart individual that happened to do that. If only, right? If only. Only. Uh, we will talk about another team that we will be putting a lot of money as we move on to the next game. The first of a three-game, four o'clock slate. And uh, it starts, you know them well, the Raiders of Las Vegas. A highly contentious place at the moment. Uh, but not too contentious between football fans as they picked up a 16-6 to low-scoring affair uh, victory over the Cleveland Browns. Uh, their opponents, the L.A. Chargers, who are coming off a one-point last-second loss to the Denver Broncos, 30-31. to they're still being traded as favorites here at home with a minus one and a half spread. Uh, the Raiders here at a plus 136 money line. Frank, you took the Raiders last week and I did not. And they finally pulled out a win. Congratulations to you on that one. Will you be doing more of the same? Uh, I will. But because you didn't pick the Raiders last week, and I know that, you know, this is an emotional segment here for you. I'm going to go ahead and swing this back to you and let you drive the conversation. Well, you know, let me drive the boat. Uh, this one is a big game, uh, and it might not seem like, you know, we're in week nine. There's not that many games that really determine playoff outcomes, but I, I dare say this game is key in uh, Chucky's playoff run, and I think it's going to have to have huge implications on the wildcard race specifically because the four and three Raiders need this win to keep them in line with more major contenders like the Browns at five and three, like the Colts at five and two, and even possibly jump the Dolphins at four and three. So I've got the faith in playoff pedigree from John Gruden to really hype his team up for a game like this. And and while the two and five Chargers don't have a lot to play with, a win here could potentially jumpstart their race back into mediocrity, uh, whereas a loss here pretty much ends their season. And uh, that could be bad news for Justin Herbert, who will probably try and rack up some wins uh, to bolster his rookie of the year award race. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking this is a real big picture game of Justin Herbert's probably going to try his ass off, whereas Chucky will hopefully have the team blasting. And this is... I mean, this is a team that's currently fourth ranked in offense, uh, and it punted only once last week uh, with zero turnovers. The fact that they only scored 16 was mediocrity from the kicking position uh, and failures in the red zone. Uh, and that's really it. Maybe some weather thrown there, but I, 
I have faith in them to beat the Chargers here who have inconsistency beating games and are probably going to take a few deep shots to great receivers like Ruggs and Nelson Aguilar to get scored on. Probably not by a lot, but they'll probably still do it at least by minus one and a half. Yeah, well, I'm glad to see you're back on the Raiders train. Uh, I was keeping the seat warm for you last week, and I know all of Black Hole Nation is glad to see their mighty conductor back in that captain's seat. Uh, and I'm going to agree with you here that the Raiders are going to win this game. Uh, the fact that they're a plus 136 underdog only makes that proposition more attractive. Uh, you know, I say it every week, this Chargers team, week in and week out, you really just don't know what you're going to get. They're young, uh, they're exciting, mostly because of their prodigy at quarterback and Justin Herbert. They can score a lot of points, but it's hard to trust them to win. And I don't want to be a, bro a broken record here, but all of their games, except for one this year, have been decided by one possession. And in those games, they're one in five. So I don't know how you can really trust them to execute down the stretch and come out with a victory here against the Raiders team. Uh, that you could say almost the opposite about more often than not. And like you said, the Raiders, statistically one of the best offensive teams in the league this year. Uh, they couldn't finish drives last week against the Browns, which was a little odd. But I expect that to be more of a one-off than a trend. And I think that they'll put up the points that they need to beat the Chargers here and improve to 2-0 and in the division on the year, which would be uh, big for – which would be a big confidence booster down the stretch. Uh, it would be huge. You know, having that win versus the Chiefs is is pretty uh, ginormous for a lot of tiebreakers in the AFC West. And like I mentioned, you know, with three wild cards here, uh, we're going to assume that whoever loses the AFC North is probably going to grab a wild card spot. Those other two spots are within the Raiders' grasp. And winning here, winning here is huge. Yeah, well, a lot of uh, a lot of contentious things happening in the state of Nevada right now. And uh, a Raiders victory would only add to the wild, wild nature of the West. It would. You know, the West does stay uh, wild, and uh, no one knows that better than Cowboys, uh, America's team. Uh, we will be seeing a fourth quarterback under center, the stars of Jerry Jones, uh, as they'll be playing host to the number one team in the NFL. Oh, lucky them. The 7-0 and Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, you know, a little bit of my darlings. Uh, matching up, uh, though I did have to recant every take I took versus the Cowboys, though I did project this to be a Super Bowl matchup, isn't looking good for me at the moment. Uh, but, you know, Pittsburgh's line at minus 13 and a half is got to be assumed to be hit as we don't even know what quarterback we're going to get under center. Dallas plus 500. Is, is there even a question? Do we have to discuss it at all? Oh, we're going to discuss it uh, because the Cowboys wrote them. The Ben DiNucci era, after just one game, or one game and a quarter, I guess you could say, if you include that uh, throttling in Washington a few weeks ago, the Ben DiNucci era is over, uh, over before it started. They're pulling DiNucci from the quarterback position, and they're going to start either Garrett Gilbert or Cooper Rush. Uh, so if that doesn't inspire confidence for them to pull off a miraculous upset here, I don't know what will. Yeah, I don't know. And the Steelers, you know, they get better. Um, yeah, three weeks ago when Evan Bush tore his ACL, touch we got a named Robert Spillane, and uh, he introduced himself to all of Ravens fans and Lamar Jackson as he got an interception. And somehow the rich get richer as he is about to get replaced as the number one middle linebacker as they traded for Avery Williamson. Uh, you know, the biggest news of Tuesday, uh, the biggest news of Tuesday's trade deadline, uh, which is huge improvement. And he should see a nice amount of practice-esque takes versus whoever starts under center. Just take the Steelers at this point. They're the best team. They're playing the worst team. 14 and a half, that's two touchdowns. That's 13 and a half, that's two touchdowns. That's all you need. It's going to happen. Yeah, that's all you need. Uh, obviously, I was being sarcastic with my little shtick there uh, earlier. Uh, I, Steelers 13 and a half is the easy play in this game. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the theme of the four o'clock slate, you know, between Nevada, one in, one in Pennsylvania, one in Arizona, one in Florida, and one in Texas has been swing states, and we're going to finish it to the final two. Uh, it's going to be another matchup of Florida, this time at Arizona, which probably by the time you're listening to this will have been decided, but still at Wednesday night, not decided. We'll find out more about that later on. Uh, count those ballots. Gotta count those ballots. Uh, and we will find who wins the battle of the ballot, as you know, Miami already turned red. 
28 to 17 victory over the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, whereas the Cardinals are coming off a bye week, though, not lest we forget the game that they came off before that, a three-point overtime victory against against the current NFC leaders, Seattle Seahawks. Miami Moneyline, plus 200. Arizona, Fred, minus five. Kyler versus Tua. Big matchup, young teams. Could this be the future of these animal teams? Yeah, well, this these two teams could very well be the future. I mean, we're looking at two young quarterbacks and two teams that are really building strong cultures. Dolphins, five and Cardinals, five and two, uh, coming off the bye at home. I think they're they're well positioned to perform well in this game. And when we saw them by the skin of their teeth uh, pull off that upset against the Seahawks just by a field goal in overtime. It wasn't the flawless picture perfect win that they probably would have liked, but a win and a, a win is a win, especially against the division rival who was undefeated at the time. And, and the Cardinal Dolphins, they also beat an NFC West team last week, also in convincing fashion. 28 to 17 over the Rams, like you said. Although, while I do like this Dolphins team, I think that score against the Rams is a little bit misleading because it took a special teams and defensive touchdown for them to put up 28 points to win that game. And, and I don't think they're going to be able to score enough points here on the road against the Cardinals to find a way to cover this spread. And I say that knowing that the Dolphins statistically are the best team in the league this year against the spread with a plus 11.4 point differential, whereas Arizona is also up there in the top five at plus six and a half points against the spread. Um, but I like the Cardinals there as a five-point favorite. Uh, earlier in the year when Miami played Seattle, they hung around. And Seattle won that game 31 to 23. I think we're going to see a bit of a similar result play out in this game. In principle, I think I would have agreed with you uh, earlier on because of what we've seen from this Dolphins team. But I I have a little less faith in Kyler Murray uh, to score that many points as Russell Wilson did. I do still think he's like in a. I still do think he's a tier kind of below. And I, of course, that lingering memory of the Cardinals victory is what propels me to take them here. Uh, I'm definitely going to agree with you on that one. Uh, You know, they took unquestionably the best offense in the league shot for shot, beating them on the ropes in OT. And Kyler Murray deserves so much credit, but so does his offensive line. It kept them upright for the majority of the season, uh, which was a big problem coming into the season. And they did well in retooling that offensive line. But I think one of Kyler's biggest tests actually comes this Sunday was the Dolphins. Uh, You know, some people may quickly forget one of the biggest storylines this offseason has been the fact that they have the two highest paid quarterbacks in the league right now, you know, put aside the quarterback controversy, the early underperformance, but these dolphins uh, should have one of the best passing defenses and absolutely they're getting it. They, you know, they proved their worth against Jared Goff. They forced him into a QBR of 12 last game. And, you know, Jared hmm. Goff, while not the greatest quarterback in the NFL, still a very competent quarterback that took a team to the Super Bowl, And he had a QBR of 12, 61 passing attempts, two of which were picked off. I'm not super confident in Tua. But this defense absolutely should keep Kyler Murray a little bit more contained. Between Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, again, the two highest-paid cornerbacks in the NFL, I think one of them is going to have a slightly better time matching up against a guy like Christian Kirk. And it then just becomes a game of can you stop Nuke from scoring three touchdowns? And you've got yourself a ball game for Miami to play. Not one that I'm entirely convinced they can win because I'm not super confident again in two, at least at the level I believe in Kyler. But this game could really change that, and that it might give me Tua the advantage. Uh, but I'm going to give Tua here the benefit of the spread, uh, but I'll take Kyler and the money line. Yeah, I mean, you definitely make some good points. And I was tempted to take Miami plus five. I think that's a pretty decent number, all things considered. Uh, but in the end, they're not going to have Miles Gaskin, at running back, who I think has shouldered a, a heavy amount of the offensive load for them this year. And Tua making his first road start, he – Didn't do much of anything last week. He didn't have to because they were able to score those two touchdowns uh, via defensive special defense and special teams. Uh, I think he's going to have to. I think he's going to have to do a little bit more offensively this week if Miami's going to have a shot to keep up. I hope he does because I like Tua and for entertainment value, watching him and Kyler Murray duel it out would be very very enjoyable. But uh, we'll just have to see if that manifests on Sunday. Yeah, maybe that'll be its destiny, uh, but it's destiny might head to the ships as we head over to Tampa Bay, 
uh, Tampa Bay, if you will, because he will be the big story of tonight after a so-so performance versus the New York Giants on Monday night. He is back on primetime to face the New Orleans Saints. Uh, the Saints coming off a 26-23 field goal victory versus the Chicago Bears. The Buccaneers, as mentioned, a so-so performance, 25-23 versus the G-Men of New York. New Orleans' money line at plus 164 is mostly due to a Buccaneers home field advantage and maybe a little bit of a better preference for the quarterback. Tampa Bay minus five and a half. Big quarterback play. Probably the best primetime game we've gotten in probably three or four weeks. I'm excited for this one. Frank, how do you lean in the NFC South? Yeah, well, this is the rematch from week one, uh, the battle of the 40-year-old quarterbacks. Drew Brees, uh, round one, went to him. But I think Tom Brady's going to get his revenge here, and I think the Buccaneers are going to win this game. And I think they're going to do so while covering that five-and-a-half-point spread. Five-and-a-half, it's a lot of points to bet against the Saints team that has pretty much been competitive in, in every single game this season. But, you know, we say it a lot. The Saints, they can, they're consistently winning week in and week out. But it's just hard to really be impressed in the manner in which they're doing it. Their past three games have been won by a field goal, two of which have gone all the way to overtime. It feels like something's got to give. It feels like they're bound for some bad luck and for some bounces to no longer be going their way. And I think that kind of happens here against a very, very well-rounded Buccaneers team. Uh, a Buccaneers team that, frankly, I think the reason that they didn't look so hot against the Giants was because they were peeking ahead to the next game on their schedule, which is this one, because you know that the Buccaneers want to even up the score in the NFC South. And uh, you know that the Buccaneers want to even up the score in the NFC South and beating the Saints, having a one and one split on the season would be huge in a potential tiebreaker scenario uh, further down the line. Biggest thing to watch here, I think, in this game, if the Saints will have a chance to pull off an upset, the Buccaneers blitz almost more than any other team in the NFL. And Drew Brees, statistically, this season and and for his career, he usually finds ways to pick apart defenses when being blitzed. So that's going to be the biggest thing to watch. But I like the Buccaneers here as a five-and-a-half-point favorite in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the subplot, you, you really described a great reason for the defense and a lot of uh, fantastic reasons for this to be a great game, but I think at the end of the day, you think about one man, and it's Tom Brady, and uh, it's Tom Brady after a close game against a Hall of Fame opponent with the NFL touchdown record on the line, prime time at home after losing to this team earlier in the season. Tom Brady has a winning record in every single one of those specific subplots, and in this game, they all combine, and it's surprisingly not even his biggest factor. I think Tom's going to have a fantastic game. Uh, but you mentioned it, their talented, talented defense that's around them should do enough to slow Breeze for the Golden Boy to just pop off on the national stage, throw a few touchdowns, lay the hammer for the division, and, uh, you know, we'll keep tight in this race. And I'm sure if Drew Breeze managed to find his way into two passing touchdowns, you know Tom's got three. You think you think Breeze is going to throw three? Brady's got four. I, I would be surprised mm -hmm. if the line doesn't end up just being one touchdown, uh, the one that will keep the record in Brady's hands for another week. Anything Breeze can do. Uh, Brady will look to be doing better. A little monkey see, monkey do action. Uh, you know, Rodham, there's one player that we didn't mention uh, who's kind of a, a glaring uh, omission from our conversation, and that's Antonio Brown. He's back in Tampa Bay, and he's supposed to be playing in this game. Do you think that the much maligned AB could potentially be a difference maker in short order for the Buccaneers? Absolutely. Look back to that game with the Patriots. He might have had a little bit more of an offseason to prepare, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of those touchdowns I was talking that Brady throws ends up in Antonio Brown's hands. I'm starting him this week in fantasy, uh, purely based off that bet, because the way Brady likes to get his players going the first week they come back, think of every running back the Patriots ever traded for under Brady. Brady likes to get his new guys going, so he showed that he has the faith in them. And I think a touchdown to Antonio Brown this week will really solidify his position if uh, he can keep it in the locker room, his position at least on the field. Uh, so I, I am absolutely looking for Antonio Brown to make some sort of a difference here, uh, though I know there's another wide receiver we should talk about that potentially might make a difference for the Saints. Any? Oh, yeah? Well, uh, well, who's that? 
Uh, that might be Michael Thomas. I think you have more on that one, though. I do have an interesting side note about Alvin Kamara, who was potentially expected to not make this game uh, due to a foot injury. But uh, when asked about the injury, Kamara said, you ever stub your toe on the corner of a bedpost or something? That's the kind of injury I'm dealing with. And then he left. Uh, so good to know. That's Kamara season ending. There. No, no, no. That's, season, that's a season-ending injury. That might just be, and we'll have to keep track of that. But more importantly, Michael Thomas could potentially be making his way to the field. Is that right, Frank? Oh, you know, great segue there. And, and you know, that just might be true. I mean, we say it week in, week out. Is Michael Thomas going to be back? It hasn't happened since week one. But he practiced on Wednesday, and unless he decides to punch a teammate in the face again, looks like he could be back on the field at long last. Also, I got to mention, you said bedpost. Interesting subplot here is Antonio Brown has reportedly been sleeping at Tom Brady's house. So Tom Brady, great quarterback, great teammate, but an even better friend. A great guy overall, and uh, you can a great guy overall, and uh, should be a great game on Sunday night. Though we've come back, you know, we had two good primetime games so far. Of course, one of them is going to have to be a flop. And good God, Tom Brady's going to know about this game, but the way he remembered it is very different. This rivalry, it's the New England Patriots at the New York Jets playing in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Uh, as the Patriots coming off a three-point last-second loss to the Buffalo Bills on a Cam Newton fumble, uh, whereas the Jets uh, stayed being the Jets, and they lost with 26 to the reigning Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Jets' money line, probably going to be the smallest you're going to see it all season until maybe when these teams play again at plus 280. New England a full touchdown favorite despite their problems. Frank, AFC East battle of uh, Hmm. potentially incompetent teams. Bad news for BB if he can't win this one. Yeah, bad news bears, uh, for sure. Uh, You know, there's really not much to be said about this game. Patriots, losers of four straight games, something that hasn't happened while Bill Belichick is the head coach since the early 2000s. So we are in uncharted territory. What's not uncharted territory is the Jets losing, because that happens all the time, as in every single week this season that's happened. They didn't cover a 20-point spread against the Chiefs, I think. And this might sound crazy. I think there's an off chance that they could find a way to somehow, somehow, some way cover this touchdown underdog spread against the Patriots just because this Patriots offense has just simply not been good. It hasn't been good at all. And they don't have any sort of playmakers. Cam Newton has not looked good at the quarterback position. But I can't find within myself to bet against the Jets in any fashion. So I'm going to take the Patriots here on the road as a seven-point favorite. I just think if you're Bill Belichick, the absolute rock bottom would be somehow losing to this Jets team in Monday night, and I don't think it's going to happen. It can't happen. It seems it really seems like it can't. This is absolutely the rock bottom, and you know the the Jets and Bill Belichick have a long and lengthy relationship, uh, so I'm sure they will be loving and licking their chops to potentially do that, but. As the aforementioned big trade of Avery Williamson, I think was one of their biggest cornerstones on the defense that was keeping them just below average, which isn't terrible. You know, 20th for this defense is not a bad place to be compared to like 31st for this offense. But without that piece, with the fact that New England is going to be ripe for a victory, added to the fact that the Jaguars are making a run at that one in 16 record they're not going to want the Jets are going to have to not win a game if they genuinely want to have a good bet at Trevor Lawrence and the number one overall pick so uh, I think that comes into play here and maybe we see uh, a very bad showing of a potential tanking yeah I mean we didn't expect the Patriots to be in this conversation this could be the Trevor Lawrence bowl right here and it really could be and uh I think last week the Patriots that last second fumble against the Bills when they had a chance to tie the game, I think that might have really just been the nail in the coffin on uh, on their season in the big picture. And it's a tough scene to say that, but uh, it is what it is. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we usually get disappointing games out of an Eastern division. Usually it's the NFC East, but it's looking like the AFC East is it's just not good either. Something about Eastern divisions. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe the West is best. Maybe the West is best, and uh, maybe it's best left for next week as we continue to talk about these divisions uh, and these divisions specifically and possible award winners this weekend. We will be having our midweek season episode probably coming out before week nine games, uh, so you will be hearing our beautiful voices prior to the next time you kick off.
except for Thursday. Enjoy that Packers game. We'll talk about that maybe. Go Pack Go. And uh, nothing better nothing better than a little mid-season palooza to bring to you hot and ready. Always love a good palooza. We might be throwing one ourselves right before that episode drops. So check us out at Play It Pod, both on Twitter and on Instagram, to join in in uh, what is a fun palooza of both of our lives. Uh, you can check out my personal palooza at Rodham Kaufman. And Frank, I hear your palooza has a great Twitter handle. Oh, it does indeed. And uh, it's at FrankJP0. And you know, Rodham, it's that time of the episode where we take it over to the joke uh, so I can make you laugh and make the audience laugh as well, which I think is especially important this week in these uncertain and trying times. I think that uh, humor is more important now than ever. So if you'd like, I'll lay one on you. Please. Gladly. You know, we've already talked about Nevada a little bit on this episode. And I'm just wondering, do you know the name of the city in Nevada where all of the dentists live? Uh, I know Las Vegas. You know Las Vegas, but you don't know Las Vegas. Well done. A little dental hygiene brought up uh, is good. You know, Las Vegas, um, pretty big state. This week especially, uh, glad to get some humor out of it. And uh, make sure to floss your teeth. Make sure to vote too, you know, four years from now or whatever. Uh, Don't forget about those midterms. We're only two years away from being two years away 